And welcome to you for the CX bus. I got my CX bus driver hat ready to go. We're ready to take the bus for a fun ride today with a special guest. Um, probably more important than anything is I just popped that up right over the top of me because it's really relevant. It's happy birthday to my guest today. What? Who is kind enough on their birthday to actually do a live stream with me? I don't. I don't know. I, and he's like super busy. It's. Maybe that's it. He has no other time than on his birthday to cut away uh, to do this. He is John D. Hansen. He is somebody who's been in the space of leadership and customer experience for a long time. Someone who is out there working hard to make people's lives better, both as leaders and as customer experience experts. He's on the road to the big event coming up soon. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I cannot, uh, I cannot wait any longer to officially say happy birthday to you. Thank you. I, it's a, a privilege to be on your show. I'll tell you, when I read your book on Rich Carlton years ago, I was hooked. So I have the privilege of reading and they they have a coveted spot on my office bookshelf. Uh, the latest one was Driven to Delight by the, uh, the story of Mercedes-Benz USA. That was a great read. So uh, it's, a, it's a privilege to be on with you. Well, I, I can tell you, you have been the nicest person I know on social media. I mean, you know, there are Social media is a mixed bag. Hey, some of you maybe not noticed that at all, but um, John, you know, I'll write something and he's just right there to add his commentary. It's not all that, you know, love you, love you, love you, man stuff. You get that too, but it's more like, here's how I'm thinking about this. I want to take the conversation a little bit further. Um, you're kind of the, my go-to hero when it comes to that, which ties in nicely to our theme today, the word hero. Um, yeah. Now, you have kind of branded around kind of heroic leadership and I think the hero in the customer experience space, but you're probably the guy who more than anybody I know reads everything and then analyzes the word roots of things to help us yes. get to the source power of it. So tell me a little bit about how you came to being involved in helping with leaders in general, what heroic leadership means in specific and your analysis of uh, heroism, if you will. Yeah. So to answer the first question first, I'll answer them in order. How did I get on this journey? Well, I've been in customer facing roles since I was 16 years old. I didn't know it was called the customer experience until oh, several years ago when I started reading your material, John DeJulius's material, just opened my eyes to there's, there's this actual professional world that is just consumed with something called the customer experience, something that I, I've been hardwired with being so strongly empathetic, how people are treated both inside an organization and outside an organization. Just it means a lot to me. And it's something that I've been learning about and studying about for a long time. Well, it was actually COVID that redirected me. I started my own consulting firm in January of 2020. And like a lot of people, 2020 did not go according to plan. It looked like we were going to be in the black by April. You know, I had speaking gigs. I had clients lined up and then... Wow, here comes March. But, you know, redirection never feels good. But two steps later, now I'm, I'm in, truly in the best opportunity of my life. I, I love what I do. I look forward to going to the office every day, not only so I can read and learn that way, but because I, I love the people I work with. I love what we do. And so that's where I got the inspiration for heroism. It's actually uh, my boss, Lee, the person I work with, that one of the best people I've ever worked for in my life, he said, this sounds like uh, heroism to me when I was explaining what we want to accomplish in the consulting space. And I brought that in with me 
we started at accelerated revenue. We launched that arm last year officially, and now things are really starting to kick off for us. But he said that heroism, that that's really boils down what you're what you're looking to do. Like, All right. So before we before we go there, because you intimated, yeah, it's been attributed to so many different people. The word, you know, leaders or readers, but uh, I don't care who said it. What matters is how much you read. Let's let's talk a bit about reading, because, and then we can get into heroism as the desired end state and why that term applies. But yeah. your reading consumption is frightful uh but for those of us who write it you know i just got to write faster that's what it comes down to so tell me about your <laughs> yes. reading your reading cadence and your reading objectives and what that does for you as, in terms of your own personal development professional development but also kind of how that sets you up to be effective as a consultant yes it, i i set a personal goal last year i wanted to complete i want i as i read a book i take handwritten notes because I find I retain it better and I want to make sure that I'm the best resource that I can be to our clients, to our consulting clients or anybody that I encounter for that matter that loves to learn. If they're looking for recommendations, I wanted to have a list. So I set a goal of one book a week. I wanted to read a book, annotate it as I worked through it, set aside the time every morning I'm in the office to, to read and note. And I did that. I actually beat the goal a little bit. And there's a, a list that I'd be happy to share. Um, people kept asking me for my book list. And so I thought another suggestion for my boss was, have you heard of Goodreads? I'm like, no, I hadn't heard of that. He said, you can keep a live active bookshelf of all that you've read or are reading. And just through a helpful link, people can go to that. And it's always updated as I add a new book. So within the last year and a half, two years, Joseph, I've read and notated about 90 plus books. What that's enabled me to do is essentially be coached by top authors from around the world on subjects that are universally needed that helped me grow because I'm just hungry to learn. I've been a reader since I was five years old. I love to read. I love to learn. And a physical book is the way I love to do it best. So that's really helped me learn so much. And then I've got all these handwritten notes. When I sit down with a client, I already have great ideas based on what their needs are. What are you looking to do? What are you looking to accomplish? Now I have a handful of ideas for them right off the bat. And then I can go back to my notes and pull out some specific gems that could help them with something they're facing. Yeah, it was a it was a, a great experience. And now I know as I get busier and busier <laughs> in this coming year, I'm not going to be able to read as much, maybe one book a month, but I'll still. Yeah, it's still one of those gifts of the pandemic. I mean, I, I know right. that seems illogical to say, but you know, one of the opportunities yeah. to maybe take a little bit more pause, be a little more introspective and really have some time to, to to grow and develop, use that yes. that, that purpose. Let's, uh, all right, so I fired at 15 questions at you at the beginning of the show and you <laughs> rightfully said, okay, let me take them one at a time. And so now we're kind of slowing it down a bit uh, so that I can get the questions in a, a more orderly fashion. Let's go to the issue of heroism, which is what we pitch this thing as. If you're out there, I, yeah, I'd love to, you know, if you're listening along live with us on, on Facebook or YouTube or LinkedIn today. Uh, I would love for you to give your version of what you think heroism is. And does this really fit? Because my initial gut when I heard it was heroes are, you know, military uh, right. personnel and firefighters. And, you know, it's, a, it's, you know, going down with a plane and, you know, uh, right. Sully Sullivan, those, those types. Yes. Right. So now you're, you're, you're broadening this definition potentially in a way that's a little freaky. So let's go to heroism. 
per John D. Hansen. <laughs> well, thankfully, you don't have to trust in, in my opinion. I actually, I did this. It was a New Year's resolution, seven, 2017, brand new in B2B sales role. I thought, how am I going to convert my proven experience in customer service? Like anywhere that they ranked it, I was at the top of my team everywhere. How can I turn that power, that ability into a B2B sales where I want to smash the record? And I did. So I said, I'm going to read. I'm going to spend time reading rather than being in front of a screen. I'm going to read. And as I was reading, I came up with the idea, I should write a book about this. So many of the things that they recommend are things I've experienced or things that I've done before. So I'm going to write a book. And I did. But I promised myself this, Joseph. I said, if I ever come across a word that I think could be rich in meaning, I'm going to take out my hardcover, bright red dictionary, Webster's Dictionary from my college days. And I'm going to pop that bad boy open. I'm going to find out what does the word mean? Where does it come from? Well, it's amazing the insights that I had and so many book ideas come from this. But one of those words later on down the road, now that I'm with the accelerated revenue, was heroism. I, you know, I never looked that up. I, I just assume like you, like it's a certain role or a certain type of industry or something that somebody does above and beyond. And that's kind of it. But it really boils down to just the pursuit of two ideals. Number one is a higher purpose. And number two is nobility or excellence. Doesn't everybody strive for that? That's why heroism is just pulled at us from the beginning of time. It's pulled at us. And that's why. Because most people, if you ask them, why do they start any kind of endeavor? It's usually because it's beyond just the endeavor itself. And they want to do it the very best. They hardly ever start off with lukewarm intentions. So well, it's also, I mean, a lot of the great epic hero stories, right, are people who are ordinary folks who right. have inside of them this capacity to probably exceed what most of us do within the confines of our ordinary, right? right. So there's something about that aspiration to excellence that is what draws us to the story of the hero because it could yes. be us, you know, it, yes. it works in us somehow. Yes. Yeah, and the potential is there. The capability is always lurking. And that's what I love about it, that it's, it's universal. Anyone can be heroic. I don't care if you sell toilet plungers. Hey, uh, there's a good example, right? Have you ever been at somebody else's house, right, <laughs> using their facility, and then the water starts doing this number? I can't think of anything more heroic than having a plunger that actually works on hand right there by that bad boy. Because if you don't, the panic in your heart, that's the perfect example. Wow, I'm, I'm right? telling you that this is a... Uh... This show has quite frequently been near or around the, the circling the drain phenomena, but I don't think we've ever really embraced it for educational purposes to the degree we just did. So I, I'm extremely grateful for that. And that's probably a, a really important time for us to transition out of that for one second. We're going to uh, we're going to just do a, a real quick we're, let's let's do a play along section if we ah. can, and let some uh, people play along with us. Your penchant, I'll just make this official. We are now in the play along section, along with the uh, the banner ad for uh, your website. All of that's happening at the same time because we're multitasking here on the show. Hey. Uh, but let's just drop out the banner ad and get back to that. Um, so here is the, the play along. We're going to do some, because of your penchant for words, because yeah. you've kind of reframed what, what really heroism is, I'm going to ask you, five word quiz questions okay. and you know the, the beauty of this is everyone who plays along doesn't do very well so just <laughs> I want you to understand it if you do well you're going to blow the curve for the rest of the class but wow. uh so here is here's my five word quiz of okay. word origins are you ready i'm ready now, 
first word we're going to ask you about is the word quiz. How apropos, don't you think? Wow. And I want to know what country you think the word quiz came from, its origins. Was it the United States? Was it England? Was it France? Or was it Ireland? And then I'll tell you about where the word comes from. I think it was France. Nice guess. That means I am now $5 in debt to the kitty for paying to my favorite cause. We'll talk about that in a bit. Okay. It came from Ireland. And actually, the story is pretty fascinating. It's probably folklore. But apparently, some guy was challenged in a bar one day to come up with a new word um, and create a meaning for that word as well. So he create, came up with a word quiz uh, and he didn't have a meaning for it uh, so he put he, he put it all over the town he just put the word quiz on you know walls over the town and um, and people start wondering what that meant so the word quiz became a question about what does it mean all right that's theoretically true who knows uh, it's <laughs> like I, a lot of things I how about the word quarantine do you think it comes from the latin word for locked in the Italian word for 40 days, the Spanish word for group away, or the Portuguese word for safe alone? Latin. Ooh, always good to go Latin, but in this case, not so much. It actually <laughs> comes from the Italian word for 40 days. Quaranto. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So it means 40 days. All right. True or false? Um, the mare in nightmare refers to a horse. Um, true or false? Ooh. True. Oh, false. So the mayor is nightmare. Now I'm in 15 bucks. You're doing what I love about this, John, is you're staying in, in keeping with all prior guests. Um, <laughs> the nightmare literally is a female spirit. The, the mayor is a female spirit or god oh. that sits on a sleeper's chest. And it either suffocates them or inserts bad dreams in the night. Oh. All right. Well, two more real quick ones. Okay. Which country does the word ketchup come from? The United States, England, China, or Turkey? United States. Nope. China, which really. China. Is no way. I know. I, I never would. Anyway. Obviously. Last one. The yeah. true or false, the word sandwich really did come from the Earl of Sandwich. Oh. Mm, see, in, in folklore, that's what I've read. Now, whether that's true or not, so I'm going to go with what I've read, but I, I have a I have an inkling this may not be true. So I believe it is off Earl of Sandwich. Absolutely. You got that one. So I only, okay. owe, you, only owe my favorite cause $20 because you got the last one right. Thanks for saving five bucks out of the bill. Yeah, I know. And the dude, apparently, uh, the Earl of Sandwich ordered meat and bread, and because he was playing cards all the time, he put the meat in between the bread. And thus, he didn't get his card soiled. All right. And after that, we've got two questions that we're going to ask our audience, one of which I think you almost gave away oh. earlier. I thought you were going to go here with this oh. first one. So thank oh. God. Who is typically credited with coining the phrase customer experience? Who is that that did that? Were, they were authors of a book. Um, give me that one. Whoever gets the right answer, we're going to send you a copy of my book, uh, Stronger Through Adversity. We're also going to send you a copy of Adrian Swinscoe's book, um, which is Punk XL. The other book I'm asking about in the uh, words choices today, what 1988 book provided early examples of a concept that people like John and I live and die by, customer lifetime value? Mm -hmm. It was the first time it was really examples of it were shown. So 1988 book, uh, if you know the answer to either one of those, just simply either pop it in the chat now, in the comment section, 
or just send it to me in an email and we'll send you something. All right, enough of the fun. Back to the actual show programming, the content. So you've got this concept of heroism, right? And heroic success, and you've kind of demystified it, and it's not out there, and I don't have to go throw myself under right. an airplane on behalf of a customer, for example. <laughs> no. So what then do you help leaders do with regard to heroic success at any level of their organization, customer-centric or beyond? Yeah, I think it's what's your paradigm? Paradigms are simply a foundation for what you believe to be true. And then based on our beliefs, our actions are reflected by that. So as an organization, if you can first understand that a goal should be to be heroic to all the people that you touch, and it goes way beyond yourself, even your team members, even your customers, it even extends out into the immediate. And now we're a globally connected community. You might think, well, that's too grand for what we do or the size of our company. But if you don't have goals that are, I think, that lofty, then you'll simply settle for okay. And, and that never, never stands out. Matter of fact, the I love this about Forrest Schultz. He wrote the book called Excellence Wins. And in that book, he said there's always room at the top for excellence because that's usually like 5% of the experiences are five-star so to get to that takes some kind of intentionality, but it really takes something that calls to people, that pulls in something that might be beyond ordinary effort. And if you can rebrand the experience internally first and then externally as something that what we do is heroic and then how we pursue it can be heroic, then the experience that people have is going to be way beyond ordinary. And that's why you see in industries that are notorious for poor service, that there are always outliers and it's never by accident. And they would always have those two elements in mind. That's a higher purpose beyond just what they do, how they do it. And they do it with excellence, with intentional excellence. So it's it's achievable. Absolutely. Well, you can plug Horst Schultz's book anytime. Excellence Wins is an incredible book. And yes, and I've known each other for a long, long time back in the days when I was doing the Ritz Carlton book. Right. We're really good friends. He's been a mentor of mine. And he actually sometimes gets a little more carried away than that. Just so you know, he he <laughs> talks not so much about excellence. He starts talking about perfection. And uh, he loves to to, you know, jerk my chain whenever I say, well, that's way too much. Course. Nobody should be striving for perfection. And his instant response is, then you'll settle for mediocrity and call it excellence. And so it's fascinating to watch his mind work around this, how good can I be tomorrow? Uh, and at a guy who's probably as top of his game in terms of right. customer experience excellence. So um, so tell me then, let, let me imagine that you're about to be, somebody you know goes to the web site that's there and they go to the consulting side and they, they reach out to you and say, hey, I just am interested in learning a little bit more about what you would do for my organization. Like what's the deliverables? What's the KPI uh, that I should be tracking? And what's my ROI on those KPIs? So what's your short answer on that in the context of heroic success, for example? What I love about this, and, and you and I are both young enough, I'll say, young enough to experience, know what the world was like before there were, let alone there were surveys, before there was even the internet. Uh, I remember when that was created and and its, its evolution over the decades has been fascinating to watch. We know, I can do, and we've actually created a tool that does this, that creates a pulse check on an organization where we can, if you have a website, if you're online, if you're a business and you're not, that would be shocking nowadays, but 
we're going to assume that you're online in some form or another. We can get an immediate pulse check on where do you stand right now? Because we can compile all the publicly available data that we can find on you combined with our first impressions, with your messaging, with your content, and we can give you a snapshot. This is where you stand right now in your metro area, in your industry, compared to your peers. Here's where you stand. Not just, not just externally, but possibly internally as well. And we scores higher. We score them higher if they have both external and internal reviews available, because then we can really get a good assessment on not only how do you take care of customers, but what's your culture like? So, so, so let me just try to make sure I'm doing this. You're yeah. scraping the available automatically occurring, naturally occurring conversations about a brand, internal and external. So what your people are saying about you, what your customers are saying about you, you're scraping that and you're kind of dip, getting a pulse diagnostic on, you know, is there some indicators of pain inside this organization that right. will probably be predictive of pain for the customers later? Uh, <laughs> or is there something going on right now that uh, we better start fixing because the, the the chat is not good out in the social sphere? Is that is that what I'm reading? And as a baseline for us to, you know, if I were consult having you come in, it would be like a baseline um, to what I need to be attending to. Yes. And you could probably attest to this. You don't come in first saying how ugly their baby is. You start off with saying, hey, here's things we've identified. You're doing great. You're doing a great job here, here, here and here. And this is an area or some areas that would be good to focus on. We can help you with that. But it gives them we never hear the good news first. So we start off with here's what you're doing well. And here's areas where we can see you can improve. And here's another reason why we do this, Joseph, is because we want to work with the ones who are either in the top of their category or the ones hungry in the middle. But the ones at the bottom, uh, it will take practically a miracle to transform that. It'll take too much time, effort, resources to even get to the middle. So we, we wanna work with the ones who are already at the top and wanna stay there because they didn't get there accidentally. And we yeah, wanna... and John, I was just what I would say, you and I, I think both do come from a place. Let's leverage your strengths and let's you know see your opportunities and kind of seize them from your strengths position. Um, be able to mitigate your threats, all that. But but I do know a consultant colleague of mine, and he doesn't mind me telling him this story. His name's Leora Rusi. He's amazing. He's like the one of the greats. But Leora will come in and tell you your baby is ugly. But I'll <laughs> tell you how to fix it. I'll tell you how to, you know, make that baby look good, which is, I wish I had that gene in me. But um, I love watching him do it. I'm really glad I don't do it. I'd get really petrified if I had to come straight out like that. Really hard. <laughs> Um, but but I do think your your point is, you know, that that organizationally you do have to kind of start with an awareness that people need to build on the things that they're doing well in order to attack maybe some of that messaging that you're hearing in the social media streams or their own employees speaking out. Um, you know, it's kind of an interesting sidestep, but it, it really is related. I mean, I think there are a lot of yes. employers who say, you know, you can't speak about your employer you know, uh, as on your private media time or whatever, like we could ever police all of that. Is that right. completely the opposite, which was they would set up your Twitter account the day you came in because they figured if they created a great internal experience for their employees, what are they going to want to talk about? But how great their life was at Zappos and it was brand ambassadors, free yeah. advertising, uh, yeah. both about their, their culture of employment, but also just what a great brand you want to be, you want to buy from them. So. Uh, yes, I love that idea of assessing both all that chatter that's out there. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and, and Zappos, you, you know, they kind of set the standard. It, why wouldn't you want people talking about what they do and where they work? I mean, that's buy-in, especially nowadays, Joseph. I mean, the, the staffing challenges are everywhere, every industry around the world. Why wouldn't you want people bragging unless unless subconsciously or maybe even consciously you're concerned about airing dirty laundry? Well, I think we're past that point now where if you want to be attracting and keeping the best candidates, they've got to know something about you beyond just a website. It's got to be something that's experiential and really from someone that's in there in the day to day, because if they're going to be making a choice on their next step, they'd like to have some kind of assurances outside of the typical interview process that we still don't really know. But the, the people that are there day to day that are saying this experience we're having, why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? All right. So let's let's assume that, that the beginning place for a lot of the dialogue of how to make something better is to understand what organically is being said about you. Um, you know, I, I've always varied, I think, a Bezos quote to say, you know, your brand is what people say about you when you're not, you're around. not in the room. My yes. Own, my own version of it. But um, essentially, that's what you're listening for is what yes. is your real brand, not yes. what you want it to be. Exactly. You say on paper, it should be. But what is right. what's being said about you now? So we start there and now we do the fix. We do a heroic, aspirational reach to what? I mean, how far do I reach? Do I do I take? negative to con positive balance uh internet chatter and i try to decrease the negative by five percent and increase the positive by seven percent and thus i have done heroic leadership or i mean how do we gauge what is a big enough reach to truly create heroic success particularly when it comes in perception of brand yeah that's a great question i, I would say two responses to that number one is there is a gap between almost all companies of what they say they want their brand to be and what the actual experience, what the takeaway is. So you've got to identify what is the gap? How big is it first? Are we talking about where this is just a few steps and we can, or is this a chasm that's going to take quite a bit to figure out how we get across this? So that's number one. How big is your gap between what you believe your brand is and <laughs> what it actually is? But then the other one is, okay, so aspirations. If you don't have something, it's like the big, hairy, audacious goals that Jim Collins writes about. If you don't have those as overlaying missional goals, then what are those things that are calling to people on an emotional level? If you're just kind of going through the paces and you're just doing your day to day like you always do, like everybody else does, that doesn't differentiate you between businesses that do the same thing, nor does it differentiate you from other potential employers. You've got to be thinking about this from not only the customer experience, but the employee experience as well. You don't want to have a magnet. And this is one thing we do. We magnetize culture. We don't want to be flipping on the magnet and attracting and keeping people who aren't good fits for our culture or customers who aren't the ones that are best fit for us. You want to be flipping that on and then attracting and keeping the ones that are an ideal fit. Well, see, I, I, that's just like brilliance personified, okay? Because I think it's one thing for us to say, we don't want to have toxic people in our work culture. That, <laughs> oh. that everybody sort of gets, right? <laughs> but the notion that I would ever want to let go of some customers, <gasps> that's anti-free that's, that's, that's anti market system kind of talk. Where, where, where are you from, person? <laughs> um, anyway, I, I think there is something to that. I remember yes. a long time ago when I think it was Sprint start firing customers who were 
overutilizing their services and it became this big uproar in the field like right should we ever be doing that i don't i mean firing's a bit rough uh right. but i do think if you're not well equipped to manage that or if it's really not a profitable segment for you to continue to provide services to it right. gets in the way of you being able to provide the service that you're optimized to yes. provide and um i know that i probably didn't defend sprint in the day but um yeah, I think it's one of those conversations you have to you have to think about who is optimal for you to deliver services to. And can you encourage some folks to go maybe somewhere else where they'll have a better fit and you're right. You have to do better. Yes. Oh, so well said, Joseph. And and I'm not saying this for flatter. I'm saying this because we we see this continually, not just in research, but in firsthand experiences. I hear this all the time from companies like we are so glad that we recommended this client go work with another company because we thought they would be a better fit and oh the relief they weren't a good fit for us they were like 10 percent of our income but 80 percent of our issues it wasn't a good fit uh, it, it's less about blame or figuring out who's wrong it's more about fit it's more about what's a good fit and you need to be identifying rather than this wheel that continues to get the grease do you need to keep greasing that same wheel or maybe you could switch it out for one that doesn't need grease <gasps> shocking idea what yeah. if all four I mean, wheels were rolling smoothly right yeah no yeah. I, I think you know i, I wrote a, a harvard business review article that never got published with kurt kaufman uh a first break all the rules with marcus buckingham like really yes. cool guy and um we wrote that we call and, and John Timmerman, who is then the head of quality at, uh, at Ritz Carlton. And, and the article was uh, the risk of excellence. And mm. it, it was really, you know, it was prompted by the genius of those other two guys. But a lot of what we were writing about is that the, if you do not seek an area where you are capable of being excellent, you're going to end up at best mediocre because there's yes. I mean, you're going to just dilute yourself over and over again into all these other places which will keep you from the truth of your excellence i, I got to get to joe who's been writing a very long message here that i was trying to glance at while you're talking he says um let's get past all that he's saying you know what may be the bad consequences of open feedback from employees to media like twitter linkedin and others if things are not going perfectly could the risk be there for open company impactful negative feedback. So let me let me kind of go to you because you're the one who teed this up. I, I don't really spend a lot of time looking at social media messaging from employees. Um, so tell me a little bit about that whole thing. I mean, is it more common in general? Are companies tracking that much on their own these days? You know, what, what is the impact? People have a feeling on this and it's somewhat a sinking feeling that you and I both have that, uh, no, it's it's not a priority. People could be concerned, like, why would you want someone who's a, perhaps one of those toxic squeaky wheels that is always getting grease? Would you want them casting you in a light that's not actually correct? I would say the other way around. I would look at the flip side of that. Two things I would look at. Number one is, They've proven one survey after another. If you've got one person complaining, there's nine others that aren't. That's both internally and externally. If there's some source of friction, they're not the only ones experiencing it. They're just the only ones voicing it. That's number one. So you need to separate your emotions from that and rather than be defensive, say, is this something that more people are experiencing? Like ask the people that are contributed. They're bought in. They're saying, ask them, are you experiencing this? Are you seeing this? Are you hearing this? Not just the ones who've been there for a long time. Ask them, ask the ones that have been there for a few years, ask the ones who are kind of the newest people 
and get it kind of across the segments. Are you experiencing this? Is this true? On the other side, I would also be looking at, this gives people an opportunity to brag on you. If you've got somebody that's that's putting out something that's inaccurate, the very best thing you can have is not defend yourself. Respond in a proper professional way, but ask your team members, would you be willing to share your experiences? Because that gives someone else that works with you, gives them the opportunity to come to your rescue, to come and put their good word out. So it's not just the company, it's other people saying, no, my experience um, here has been this, because that's also a firsthand testimonial. The reason why so many of these Glassdoor and Indeed are anonymous is because they know they won't get the feedback if it's put it, somebody putting out their name and, and their title. So while yes, you've got to take everything with a grain of salt, how many grains of salt do we have that maybe we should be looking at? Yeah, at some point in time, if the rest of the world's crazy, you might just create <laughs> another alternative hypothesis. Um, so let, let's kind of pull that back a little bit because you, this is you know early in the in this thing, I, I said you're one of those guys who just engages conversations. Joe, who was just in our conversation, another one of them on LinkedIn, and, and really makes everything better just because we're so different, all of us, and we have different perspectives, and it. It enables us to provoke each other to think about things differently. But there was a conversation you and I had online in LinkedIn. It was probably three or four weeks ago. And and you said something. Then I said, wow, that would make a really great poll question. Uh, this was in the stream. And I ended up writing a poll question. And it's, it's reminiscently similar to some of this discussion because you're basically saying in many ways you're scraping organic listening right whatever people are naturally saying into social media about their employment or what they're saying about your brand and that's a great source of how are people out there in the universe really feeling then you talked about just a moment ago maybe going to some of your key players and saying let me talk to you kind of real personal you know face-to-face -face listening uh, yes. then we've got the other one right the one that's in between sort of where i'm soliciting your input but i'm not doing it as personally we're going to call that a survey and right. so I did my poll based on what kind of like, where do you go for your sources of truth about listening to customers? And it was a fascinating poll because people were all over the map on that. Some people were saying the organic is best. Other people are saying, no, you got to get a rhythm of regular listening formally so you can do baseline metrics of my NPS score today, right. my NPS score tomorrow. It's like a lot of those polls, you're kind of, provoking people to kind of go with their strong preference. But right. you and I probably agree, you need to do all this, right? Like you gotta be surveying, you gotta be scraping the organic, and you gotta be spending some time in the qual around, tell me more. Like I see a data point on your survey, you know, is this real? And what is that, what is that texturally about? Like, give me some yes. feel for it. Give me your thoughts on, so maybe you go in and you do the scrape and you listen and you help them see what's going on out in the in the ether. How do you then bring it home? How do you follow up with the right kind of listening and actionable intelligence needed to, to fix the thing? Yeah, I, I would start with this. I would look at what they say their values are as an organization. And then I would say, all right, this is what your core values are that you've stated. So let's follow through with those. Another thing I would say is that I don't know of too many industries that would not acknowledge the value of continuous improvement, but there's a difference between acknowledgement and belief. And the organizations that believe in 
the value of continuous improvement, rather than seeing it as a threat or as baggage or a burden, instead they see it as a blessing. It gives us competitive advantage if we are always asking, how can we do this better? Not, are we doing this well enough? Are we getting a nine out of 10? Instead, be asking, and all of these things, surveys are good for a pulse check, internal interviews and discussions that are really that, discussions. It should be obvious to the people on your team that you actually care and believe in the value of continuous improvement as a core value that we can go with the understanding that it can always be better. So how are we going to do that? If that's seen as a threat, then there will be excuses. There will be emotional reactions. There'll be reasons why we can't do this, that, or the other. Or if it's a deeply held belief and all of the outliers, by the way, and you know this, Joseph, you've done the research, all of the outliers in industries that are notorious for poor service, they are always asking, how can we do this better? And when someone says how they can do it better, whether it's the squeaky wheel, which uh, by the way, Horst Schultz has said, he said it's 5% out of all the customers they had that were constant complainers. 95%, good to go. You've always got to be starting off with, this can be done better. How can we do this better? Well, I, and I think that growth mindset is yes. something that, you know, we certainly understand that a lot of us have other qualities of growth mindset. We learn a lot, we read a lot, like your case, obvious growth mindset. When it comes to soliciting feedback, most of us don't really want to hear the truth. I mean, I'm just straight up about this. When I come down, I do a presentation, I send my post survey or I do consultation and I send my post survey. I mean, I know when that comes back in, I have to just take a breath, right? And go, okay, whatever this says, you know, you kind of hope it's not perfect because if it's perfect, then you're right. going to learn squat. Yes. Whatever the imperfections of this thing are, uh, let's try to hear for signal first. Yeah. And then determine if there might be some noise in here. Yes. Um, and sometimes there is noise, right? Like some people, you know, they have their own agenda items. Um, didn't like didn't like the color of your tie, right? Um, and so that gray tie, I mean, you got to jazz up the color a bit much, right? Like, so I give you that feedback, you go, okay, I don't think I'm changing my brand colors today in order to accommodate Joseph, but right. you know, maybe there's something else that, that is signal in there, but being willing to ask and being willing to assume positive intent and assume there's a lesson to be learned until proven otherwise, I think that's a rare breed of leader today, a rare breed of human. Yes. Um, and something that hopefully more and more people understand it's not where you start, it's where you end. Yes. Right? In life, like I, I didn't start perfect, but I'd like to end pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got some work to do. All right. Uh, hey, you're going to be on the road. Um, yes. I'm, I'm heading out on the road shortly. And a lot of folks, you know, again, again and again and again, I did some international consulting not too long ago. And so um, I think the world is on and off right now. For those yep. of you who are catching us live, we're in the end of January. For the rest of you who are hearing us on tape, um, it, it's still kind of ha hazy out there, but you're going to be in front of like, I'm in front of a couple thousand this week. I think you're going to be in front of like 6,000 next week or so. Tell me a little bit about what's up and where people can catch you and, um, how they can get you to do what you're about to do for some other organization. Yeah. So I, I have the privilege of speaking at the pro green expo in Denver next week. Now you're thinking, Oh, good for you, John. You get to go to, uh, it's cold, but it's so sunny in Colorado. I'm looking forward to first visit 
but the thing I'm most excited about is that the Pro Green Expo is the largest green industry event in the entire country. And I have the opportunity to speak three times on three different topics across the three days of the expo. And you're right, over 6,000 people typically attend this. And I'm not going to be speaking to every 6,000 people, but I'm going to be able to be addressing people that want to learn specifically about those sessions. They'll be able to set aside time and visit. So I'm looking forward to adding value to that space. The uh, team that's putting together the events doing a fantastic job. I loved it. I 16 years, when I was 16 years old is when I started speaking in front of people and it was not good. <laughs> it's gotten so well good to the Hopefully point. Hopefully they're paying you more than they did when you were 16. Uh, they you know, did. Like, yes, I was actually paying them to, to speak. You know, a burger like joint. Was, I'm good. 16. Um, yeah, so I love it. I, I enjoy it now. And I've gotten to the point where I'm so confident in the fact that I know I have something of value to add to them. It's not about me. It's about them. It's about those light bulb moments when I see it in their eyes and they're like, ah, I got it. And they start writing like crazy. That means the world to me. And that's where I love public speaking because the 15 plus topics that I cover are things that are tired old topics that people have heard so many times, but it's a fresh take. Again, word origins are huge on this, Joseph, but I love doing that. And that's gonna be a great opportunity for us to not only help with the attendees, but the exhibitors that are there and the fellow presenters, it's gonna be an incredible time. So that, that's next week. But then on our website, they can also forward slash keynote that lists our topics that we cover and find out all kinds of information there. We made our website to be do it yourself. Frequently asked questions, answers there, pricing, all of that. You don't need to contact us for like contact us for details. It's all there and it's designed to be self-serve because Marcus Sheridan wrote the book, They Ask, You Answer. We want to provide all of those answers up front. So when someone does reach out to us, they're an educated consumer like they all want to be. And then it eliminates the ones that you get to the end of the conversation. You're like, oh, so how much is this going to? Oh, no, we don't. We can't. Well, no, your pricing's right on your website. I've not I've seen that much. Uh, so it is right there. For, right there. Right and, there. And, play and, day. All right. So, uh, hey, it's been an honor. Happy birthday again. Let me make sure everybody you. knows that uh, John D. Hansen can be reached at that website, as you noted that's the kind of consulting side. If you just replace that last backslash with keynote, you're going to find more about his keynotes in general. If you just go to accrev.com, you're going to be able to check all the different options of all the tabs that are available on there. Um, as we kind of wrap up today, I do want to make sure that you have your chance at the free gear. Can I send you a copy of Stronger Through Adversity and a copy of uh, Punk XL from Adrian Swinko's work? Uh, if you can answer our questions and you can do that after the show by just sending me an email at joseph at josephmanchelli.com. Remember the two questions. Um, first one to get the right answer of each of these gets uh, a, the prize package. Uh, so whoever's first with who is typically credited with coining the phrase customer experience. It was a book that led us there. And then another book from 1988 uh, was responsible for giving us lots of examples of a newly emerging concept called customer lifetime value. So mm. if you know the answers to that, please hit me up at joseph at josephmichelli.com. Otherwise, we say we're doing this every month because of the schedule. We've now done it every other week for the last couple of weeks. We'll try right. to throw in an extra bonus one whenever we get a chance. So I am grateful for John making it possible today on his birthday to hey. be with us. And I strongly encourage you to go to his website and check out all that's going on for him, I am uh, perpetually grateful for all of his support, and I think you'll be delighted 
to have him uh, on your journey as your co-pilot. I, I described him today as my co-pilot. So I will uh, encourage you to just head to his website and check that out. Otherwise, that's it for today. Where did the time go? Oh my gosh, it's all over. We'll catch you next time.